Bienvenidos. Hello and welcome to episode five of City Breaks Seville. Definitely going to be a podcast in two halves. Going to treat the two big festival weeks which take place in Seville, one after the other. So starting with the Semana Santa, Holy Week, and continuing then with the Feria de Abril, possibly the event in the social calendar for the actual people of Seville, and certainly one of the two big events in the calendar for everybody else who might be thinking of visiting the city. So those two festivals form the main thrust of the episode. I'm going to take a little detour after Holy Week to talk about one of the churches that's most involved in the celebrations for Holy Week, that being the Macarena. And right at the end of the episode, I might round off with a little trio of churches where you can go to buy goodies. Three closed-order convents which specialise in this and that that you can buy to taste or to take home as a way of raising funds for their institution. So then, Semana Santa. You may be able to hear that that is the Spanish for Holy Week, Semana Week, Santa, Holy. And it's a week-long commemoration of Christ's passion, his death, his resurrection, held in the week up to Easter Sunday, the week known in the church calendar as Holy Week. It's a tradition of processions through the city, which dates back centuries. The people processing belong to the brotherhoods, religious groups from the city, some of which date right back to the 13th century. The whole tradition of processing through the streets in Holy Week started in the 16th century, in the period known as the Counter-Reformation. So if you wind back a little bit from there, you've got Luther, the rise of Protestantism, etc., all over Europe, and and Catholic churches all over Europe, and particularly in Spain, wanting to fight back, if you like, and reassert their authority in the face of this rising new religion of Protestantism. So, in 1604, the Synod decreed that those doing penance shouldn't stay hidden in their closed monasteries or their little churches. They should go to the cathedral. And that was quite a smart move, because it meant that people had to go from their monastery or church to the cathedral and the tradition of going along together in a group arose and this meant of course that all these brotherhoods became more seen in the city people were much more aware of their existence it wouldn't be quite true to say that from the 16th century onwards there have been processions every single holy week all through the centuries there are periods when they stopped having them so for example in 1808 to 10 and 1820 to 25 there were french troops invading the city And in those periods, no processions. In 1836, the Spanish Catholic churches came into a lot more problems. Much of their property was seized and dispersed. Processions waned during that period. In 1868, something called the Junta de la Revolución. So you can hear the word revolution in there. A revolution by people who were anti-church, who closed in Seville alone 49 churches and 9 convents. So obviously that meant no processions. But from the end of the 19th century, they began to take more importance again and to grow from there. You could certainly say that during the 20th century, the tourism aspect helped things along. But I think if you've been to the Semana Santa at all in Seville, or indeed in lots of other Spanish cities, I think you would say that the solemnity and the seriousness with which they take it all would tell you that it really isn't just all about tourism. So what happens today then? It starts on Palm Sunday, so the week leading up to Easter Sunday, and there will be a series of daily processions from various churches and monasteries to Seville Cathedral every day that week. About 50 different brotherhoods take part. They are called in Spanish hermandades, 
I think hermano is the Spanish for brother. They're also sometimes called the cofradias. I think that's the Latin root, isn't it? Co, and then a word that sounds a bit like brother in French. So anyway, there are 50 of them, and each one leaves the home church on the appointed day at the appointed time to process to the cathedral. Each brotherhood will be carrying as the main part of their procession a large float with a life-size sculpture on it of a scene from the Bible. Many of them, in fact, are Christ or the Virgin Mary, or very often both of them. And this really takes over the streets of Seville that week. They're very crowded to watch what's happening, even though a lot of it happens overnight. But the atmosphere is solemn. It's nearly silent. The penitents processing might be barefoot. They wear long robes and those cone-shaped hats with slits for the eyes that look quite spooky. They're known, in fact, as the hooded Nazarenos. When you look at them first, you may be thinking Ku Klux Klan, but if that is what you're thinking, then please remember that, in fact, the brotherhoods of the Spanish churches predate the Ku Klux Klan by centuries, and they it was who adopted this habit. Ho-ho, that was an unintended pun, of wearing long, plain garments and hoods which covered their faces. More spookily, if you know your Spanish history, in fact, these costumes do echo the hoods worn during the Spanish Inquisition, that terrible period when so-called heretics were sentenced to death for not confessing their faith convincingly enough, or simply refusing to pledge their allegiance to the Catholic Church. So there definitely is a very sombre atmosphere, created by lots of different things, I think. The costumes, the quiet, the fact that much of it takes place at dusk or overnight... Many of the processions are accompanied by the beat of a drum, a slow, steady drum beat that's quite melancholy. At points during the proceedings, there'll be a saeta sung by often someone appointed in advance, but sometimes they break out seemingly spontaneously. And the saeta is is a song about the passion story, often one about the Virgin Mary's sorrow when she realised what was happening to her son. But all of that combined makes for a very solemn atmosphere. Each of the brotherhoods has spent weeks or even months building their float. The float in Spanish is known as a paso and decorating it. Flowers, candles, precious stones, the statue of course. If you're in Seville in the weeks leading up to Holy Week, it's quite a thing to do. You'll notice the civilians themselves doing it to go around some of the churches and look at the float, which will be there for all to see for a few weeks before it's carried out and on to the cathedral during Holy Week. This takes place always on a set day and at a set time, so each church is given its precise time to leave, time when they need to arrive at the cathedral, and a route to follow as well. Obviously it's a huge logistical exercise, because you can't have these people holding each other up. If you're there during the period, and you have any Spanish, you can buy something called the Programa de la Semana Santa, programme for Holy Week, which you'll find in all the news agents prominently displayed, and that will list all the processions, what's going where and when. I think there's a cut-down version often in the other newspapers as well. They produce their own supplements with the timetable in it. So it starts on Palm Sunday. It's working towards Easter Sunday when there's a resurrection parade. But the climax really is midnight, just as Good Friday is beginning. So midnight between Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And that's the moment when some of the very oldest brotherhoods in the city leave their home churches and begin their procession, which goes on often right through the night. Two of those churches would be the Macarena in Seville 
and across the river in Triana, the Santa Ana procession. I think that too crosses the bridge at midnight on Monday Thursday. As I hope is becoming clear, this really is an event which takes over the whole city. If you're there in the run-up, actually, you'll begin to notice rows and rows of chairs being put up outside the cathedral all the way round because they know that spectators will be coming and want to see what's going on. I don't think you can just turn up and sit on one, actually. I think they're ticketed and booked up in many cases well in advance. There are some good tips in one or two of the guidebooks about places where you might be able to squeeze in and stand and see what's coming past. So it'd be worth consulting those. But there are also a host of travel writers who've been to Seville and chosen this event as one of the things they write about in quite some detail. So I've picked out two or three of them just to read you a few extracts and give you a little bit more of the flavour what you could expect if you went to Seville for the Semana Santa. The first one is the now hopefully becoming familiar to you, Richard Ford, who wrote his handbook for Spain in the 1830s. He's writing, of course, in rather 19th century language, and he describes, for example, these processions as being, quote, one of the peculiar usages of Seville. I don't think that's truly the case, in fact, because there are Holy Week processions in many other Spanish cities. Equally, I think it is true that the most notable, the one you'd want to see if you only went to one, is in fact the one which takes place in Seville. I think these days we perhaps wouldn't call it a peculiar usage, but there we go. He talks about the crowded streets. Quote, Wherever one of these processions presents itself to the public, it takes up the street from side to side, stopping the passengers and expecting them to stand uncovered in all kinds of weather till the standard is gone by. He talks about how many people are keen to see it. Quote, At nightfall, the long lines of men, women and children, two and two, are seen twinkling through the narrow streets, which are illuminated from the balconies of the houses. And he describes what an effect this passing procession has. There's him singing. You can hear them coming out of the darkness in what he describes as the melody of the chant of distant voices. And then, of course, eventually they appear. Quote, The procession is headed by devotees who carry richly chased lamps, farolas, on staves. The parish priest follows, bearing the glittering banner of gold and velvet, the sin pecado, that means without sin, the sin pecado on which the Virgin is embroidered. As soon as the cortege passes by, the candles in the balconies are put out. Thus, while all before is one glare of light, all behind is dark, and it seems as if the banner of the Virgin casts glory and effulgence before her, like the fire pillar which preceded the Israelites in the desert. The travel writer Jan Morris was there in the 1960s, very much aware that, yes, it was an amazing spectacle, but also it was something that, to the people of Seville, seemed very ordinary, something that they quite often did, in fact. She says, in fact, that there are few spectacles on earth to match this, putting it like this, quote, It's all the more haunting, because its strangeness, dignity and reverence are coupled with an odd matter-of-fact detachment, as though the whole affair is only one more job, like catching the morning bus or doing the shopping. She writes a several-page description and describing the effect on the senses of all the things that come together in the procession. The gilded images, palm trees, the drum beat, clanging bells, candlelight, the smell of flowers, and as she puts it, all of these combined to make a spectacle that is so amazing that you think of other massive spectacles you've seen elsewhere in the world and you think, no, this really is right up there with them. This is how she puts it. Quote, the most tremendous of military parades, 
the tanks in Red Square, or the Garde Républicaine down the Champs-Élysées, pale in the imagination besides this. Actually, I think that word imagination is key because it is more than just what's actually happening. There's a, there's a real feeling of the sentiments behind it, the solemnity, the retelling of the passion story by people who believe in it and feel that Holy Week shouldn't go past without people pausing to remember what it's actually all about. In a cynical modern age, I think it's actually a rather wonderful sight. And then the third travel writer I picked out is Elizabeth Nash in her book Seville, Cordova and Granada, published in 2005, where she writes that, quote, The passion with which civilians follow mobile altars bearing opulent life-size images around their city is difficult for outsiders to understand. I think if you happened upon it without knowing anything about it, you would indeed find it difficult to understand. But if you've done some reading and thinking about it before you go, I think quite the reverse. You'll be very taken with the sincerity with which people take part. Elizabeth Nash also writes several pages about this whole event, from which you can glean a lot of extra information. She talks, for example, about the importance of each brotherhood in its local area, how much social influence they have, how it's quite male-dominated. In fact, I think make that very male-dominated, even in the current era. She describes how there are months of rehearsals going into this procession, not just making the float, but also practising carrying it. They're massively heavy, and they're borne on the shoulders of some of the penitents. They're walking for hours at a stretch, up to, I think the longest I saw was 13-hour journey from the church to the cathedral and back again. They've got to negotiate narrow streets, other processions, crowds, tricky corners, all of that. And so they practice and practice to make sure they can do it solemnly and with dignity. She's also quite good on the practice of visiting churches in the weeks going up to Holy Week so that you can see the pasos, the floats, in the various churches. She describes the complex schedule which has to be written up so that the processions can crisscross the streets of the city often in the middle of the night, without causing chaos and without disturbing each other, in what she describes as, quote, a marvel of smoothly synchronised traffic control, rarely replicated in real traffic. I saw more than one travel writer actually saying that when you think what the traffic can be like in some Spanish cities, to see this so slow and dignified and well run does strike you as significant. She's also quite good on the hierarchy of the penitents, telling us how they're given their place in the schedule according to their importance, often according to the age of the brotherhood, and also how within each brotherhood it's not happenstance as to who leads the procession and who's lost in the middle and who's bringing up the rear. So if you're interested in all of that, definitely the book to read. She's particularly good as well, though, just on the general atmosphere, and that, I think, would be a nice quotation with which to end this section of the podcast. Here's how she describes it. Imagine this scene against the moonlit sky, with the warm air drenched in the scent of orange blossom, candle wax, Easter lilies, incense, and the occasional waft of Havana cigars, or crossing a bridge as the sun rises over the Guadalajara, when the early bird's dawn chorus competes with the trumpets, or negotiating a narrow alley where every sound is magnified as hushed onlookers crane from balconies, hold their breath, cross themselves, and toss petals and orange blossom the length of the street. At certain points along the route, when the heavy cargo is laid to rest for a moment, someone, usually hired for the occasion, but occasionally spontaneously, sings a saeta, literally an arrow, an improvised flamenco prayer to the Virgin. Then, 
When the palio has passed and the tension subsides, the crowd heads for bars which stay open all night for cups of hot chocolate and sticks of deep-fried batter. And just to finish, I'd like to quote a few lines from one of these saetas, one of these songs that are part of the procession. I've taken this quotation from a travel book called Andalus by Jason Webster, in which he travels all round Spain, looking for the Arabic origins, the Moorish influences everywhere. And when he gets to Seville, which he calls one of the capitals of Saeta, he notes very much the haunting chants which are sung as part of this procession. And for him, they seem to have a connection with the Islamic world. He writes about, quote, their strange, twisting melodies, with sliding quarter tones, sounding almost exactly like a muezzin calls to prayer. So I'm going to read four lines from one of the songs which he quotes. Apologies in advance for the Spanish accent. I'm sure it's not right, but I'm going to do my best. Okay, so this is what he chose to quote. Y las golondrinas que atarón, the swallows picked, las espinas a Jesús, the needles from Jesus' hair. Y no pudieron desclavarlo con sus picos de la cruz, but with their beaks were unable to bring him down from the cross. So that's really at the heart of the Semana Santa, the passion of Christ, the helplessness with which people were forced to look on at what was happening and unable to do anything about it. I'd like to focus briefly on one church in Seville, the Macarena, which plays a key role in the Semana Santa. It looks like a very old building, but in fact it was constructed in the 1940s to replace one which had burnt down a few years earlier. And it was built for the express purpose of housing the Virgen de la Esperanza Macarena to the Virgin of Hope from Macarena. The main part of the church is a 12-metre-high altar built specifically to show off this statue. The statue is a 17th-century model of the Virgin Mary, which will be carried on a silver paso as part of the Semana Santa processions. Mary is a very sorrowful figure, depicted in tears, in anguish, as the mother who's lost her son. She's splendidly dressed, in a white dress and a pale blue cloak, both of which are heavily overlaid in gold, described by the eyewitness guide actually as waterfalls of gold and silver. She wears a golden crown, there's a massive golden halo above her head, and her hands are held out in a pleading gesture. Possibly slightly bizarrely, part of the decoration of the costume consists of five diamond and emerald brooches which were given to her, or donated to the church, by a bullfighter. One Joselito, one of Seville's most famous bullfighters. We'll come back to him in a later episode, actually. But somewhere before he was killed in the bullring in 1920, he had made a lot of money from bullfighting and he donated these five brooches to the Macarena. So the whole thing combines to be truly a Virgen Dolorosa, so a virgin in grief. And she is the statue that leaves the church of the Macarena exactly at midnight on Maundy Thursday for a 13-hour journey on the shoulders of the brothers to the cathedral and back again. And this is one of the high points of La Semana Santa. This particular event is called La Madrugada. It's quite the thing, actually, in the period running up to Holy Week, You'll notice a lot of civilians themselves and tourists going to visit some of the churches, going in and having a look at the floats, which will be set up somewhere prominent just for those few weeks so people can see them before they actually see them in the procession. Another way of learning more about them, if you don't go in the period just before Holy Week, is to go to the building which is on the side of the Macarena Church, which is really a museum and is full of processional garments and more floats, 
and again, possibly slightly bizarrely, if you're not Spanish, of something called trajes de luca, which means literally suits of light, and refers to those very glittering, sparkly numbers worn by matadors in the bullring. They have, in fact, been donated by bullfighters over the years. But if you go very close to Holy Week, I think you'll find that that museum is not open because most of the things inside it are out and about getting ready for their role in the Semana Santa. So I hope I've given you a really good picture of what Semana Santa is and what it would be like if you went there. Let's move on then to the second big festival, the Feria de Abril, which takes place just a few weeks later, opens on a Monday night at the end of April, a six-day extravaganza. Feria is the Spanish for fair. There are fairs all over Andalusia, all over Spain actually, I think. But this one is the daddy of them all, the one that if you only went to one, this would be the one to come to. Again, its origins go way back, but in this time, they're not religious, they're to do with trade. So it's grown out of the trade fairs when people came to sell their wares, to bring their livestock and their produce and other goods to sell, and then decided that if people were going to get together for a few days in Seville, perhaps it would be nice to introduce some fun activities. These days, there's a big fairground, lots of eating and drinking and all sorts going on. One of the more Spanish aspects is the casetas. Casetas are really temporary stands or marquees which have been set up. They're there for all sorts of things. Many of them are selling tapas and drinks, etc. About a quarter of them are open to the public, so if you go, you should be able to get into those. But many others are much more civilian than that. Long-standing civil families have their own caseta, which they rent out for the week, I think at quite some expense. Others are rented by clubs and businesses and political parties. So, what actually happens? Well, every day, from about one o'clock to five o'clock, maybe, is the time to see and be seen. So, if you go at that time, you'll see people in traditional costumes, think flouncy dresses, highly colourful, often those polka dot ones, in every bright colour you can imagine, parade round on horseback or in a carriage, so that's how they spend the afternoon. And then in the evening, of course, the party itself starts up. Flamenco, singing, dancing, lots of drink, lots of food, all of this every night for the full six nights until six or seven in the morning. Alongside the Feria events actually happening on the piece of land near the tobacco factory set aside for it, there's also a full programme of bullfights. This is when the season really gets underway. I think it's said, in fact, that some of the best bullfights of the season will be fought in this week. So if that's your thing, that's another thing to remember to try and fit in. Again, we have some lovely descriptions by various writers to give the flavour. And I'm going to start with one, a Spanish writer, Manuel Machado, who was writing in 1920, and who describes what's happening at the Feria as follows. Quote, A caseta in the Feria is the traditional luxury of many civilian families, It's a luxury of the finest quality, far superior to a box at the opera or a season ticket for the bullfight. It may be notably more expensive, but it's infinitely more enjoyable. At the same time, the caseta is an extension of the home, a continuation of family life, both intimate and personal. It is the home itself, conjugal, paternal, fraternal, which for a few days conveys all the pleasure and charm of the feria, whether in the morning with the neighing of the horses from Jerez, in the afternoon, basking in a gentle breeze, or in the fantasy of the evening, full of enchanted songs and dances. The writer Safar al-Sitwell was there in the early 1950s, 
and this is what he wrote. We are on the outer side of our avenue and can see in every detail the splendid cavaliers and their ladies as they ride towards us and pass by. Taking the young women first, there are two sorts, those who go pillion and those who ride alone. The pillion riders, perched precariously with an arm round their rider's waist or holding to the horse's tail, wear the flounced skirt of the pedestrians. Their brothers or lovers ride generally one arm akimbo, which accentuates their thin waists. Many are wearing elaborate and fanciful leather trousers. The young women ride pillion with an amazing grace, the beauty of their bare heads and arms in that violent sunlight being as animal as the steeds they share. Every young woman is beautiful to look at, some of the young girls being real visions of Spanish beauty, with their camellia skins and black hair and eyes. It is wonderful to watch a cavalier, arms akimbo, riding towards us, Spanish fashion, and then to wait and admire the young woman upon the crupper, holding lightly to his waist. Jan Morris was there too in the 1960s. She writes about it in her book, Spain. And again, several page description, very much worth reading in full. She describes, for example, the social setup, how it's not just a place for entertainment, it's somewhere to go to catch up with the gossip. It's where the families of a certain standing perhaps seek a husband for an eligible daughter. She describes it as Spain's most wonderful paseo because it's on horseback. Hour after hour, she writes, in the warm spring sunshine, the Andalusians ride up and down that fairground to see and be seen, look each other's dressage up and down, inquire after the dear Marquis. She writes about all the different aspects that come together, the noise, people chattering, groups of young people rushing about excitedly, clashing dishes, blazing lights, music, singing, etc. Summing up by writing, quote, Everywhere there is the beat of a flamenco, the clatter of heels and castanets, the creak of carriage wheels, the smell of horses, the swish of romantic skirts, the noise, like the shuttle of distant looms, of 20,000 clapping hands. The advice in the Lonely Planet Guide is to go and drink sherry, ride a horse, dance sevillanas, which is civilian folk dances, ride a bumper car, drink more sherry, and stagger home at 2am. have to point out that if you do that, you'll be in bed several hours before the most seasoned civilian fiesta goer, who may well be up till dawn at least. Let's give the last word to one of the city's own guidebooks, something called Seville, the Magic City of Spain, in which they sum up the feria as follows. The horse carriage is the only transport allowed inside the fairground, Real de Sevilla. Their drivers wear short jacket suits with wide-brimmed hats and decorate their horses with coloured pom-poms and little bells. Carriages, purebred horses, song and dance, flounced dresses, the perfume of the orange blossom, adorn the unique Feria de Sevilla. And then just to finish, as we started the podcast on a religious note, this seemed a good moment to just mention three conventes de clausura, so three closed convents, where you can stop by and buy some sweet treats, which they've made and which they will sell you as a sort of fundraising exercise to enjoy there and then, or of course to take home. And they would be the Convento de San Leandro, where you can buy something called yemas, which is a sugary, syrupy, egg yolk sort of concoction made into little sweets. If you go to the Convento de Santa Ines, you can buy bolitos, which are sweet buns, or you can buy tortas alemandradas, which means almond cakes. And at the Convento Santa Paula, where I believe 
you can be taken on a tour of the convent. You can also buy, it's a very specific number, you can buy 19 sorts of jam or marmalade, or indeed a different sort of egg yolk and sugar sweet, which goes under a wonderful name, which I don't think I can pronounce in Spanish, but which when translated means heavenly lard. So if you like your sweet treats full of fat and sugar, and who doesn't, then that might be something worth remembering. Okay then, so, so much for the episode on the two big festivals. Two weeks which between them most define Seville. One religious, one trade-based, both very Andalusian, both very civilian, both very much worth catching if you possibly can. Next week then, I'm going to go on to an episode really about enjoying yourself in Seville. Picked out four places, one park and three palaces, which are all very lovely to wander around and have a look at. So that would be the Parque Maria Luisa, which is the stately large park in which civilians themselves go to unwind. That's the one with the Plaza de España in it, which may well be, if you've seen a few pictures of Seville, after the Cathedral or the Alcazar or the Giralda, the Plaza de España is the other one, the other glorious semicircular building that you see that really defines Seville. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to go on a tour of three of the lovely palaces, namely the Casa de Pilates, the Palacio de las Dueñas and the Palacio de la Brigia. All of those stuffed full of wonderful treasures and goodies, which I'll give you a very brief insight into, in the hope that you might be a little bit better informed if you decide to wander around any of them yourself. So that's the plan for next week. For the moment, I'd just like to thank you again very much for listening. Muchas gracias. And to sign off with goodbye in Spanish, adios. Adios.